Amazing time of worship, yeah? Thank God for that. He is so worthy. If it's your first time here, we welcome you. You're looking for a church to look anymore. You just found one. Amen. Anybody else need an outline? All right. Well, let's pray that we're going to dive into God's word. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much. It is so humbling and to know, Lord, that you would come down to this earth and to give your life for sinners such as us. And so, Father, we celebrate you today, every day. The fact that we gather together is the assurance to know that you have risen from the dead. We thank you, Lord, for who you are in our lives, how you work in our lives, how you love us, how you care for us, how you direct and guide us. And we're alive because you're alive. Your spirit lives within us. And Father, I pray, Lord, this morning that those who are saved, that their lives would be enriched by your word. Those who are not, that they would come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. I decrease that you would increase, empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself, that everything that I say and every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23 is today's text. Again, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23 is today's text. The title of the Resurrection Sunday message is The Living Presence. Say that. Now say it with more enthusiasm. And today we celebrate, right, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No resurrection, no celebration, but we celebrate because Jesus has, in fact, right, been raised from the dead. And you see, the totality of Christianity rests upon the reality of the resurrection. It is the most important doctrine of our Christian faith. It's the cardinal doctrine of Christianity. In fact, friends, it's the doctrine that sets Christianity apart from all of the religious, religions and belief systems in the world. And listen, everything we believe and hold sacred stands, hinges on the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The crucifixion, say the crucifixion, without the resurrection would have been a failed mission at Calvary. And this is why the resurrection is of supreme importance. It is, listen now, the validation of the success of the saving ministry of Jesus Christ for sinners. Now, if you're saved, say amen. There is no explanation for our Christian life apart from the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And therefore, it is absolutely, listen now, impossible to call ourselves Christians and deny the resurrection. We know that Jesus is alive, right? He is the living presence in our lives. That's why we gather together on Sundays and come together and worship him because he is, in fact, alive. Now, before we even dive into the text, I want to quickly walk you through what transpired in verses 1 through 18, quickly here. 
And it was early Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene comes to Jesus' tomb to anoint him with spices. And, and as she gets there, she notices the stone is rolled away. You say the stone is rolled away. And then, 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 then she, she runs uh, to go tell John and Peter what she had discovered. And then John and Peter head to the tomb. They're racing each other, right? Head to the tomb and see that the stone was rolled away. And then Peter goes in and sees that Jesus' body is not there. And then John goes in. And then they head on back home as Mary is now returning back to the tomb. And she's standing outside the tomb. And there outside the tomb, she's crying. She then bends over to look in the tomb. And in the tomb, she sees two angels. And they ask her, why are you crying? And she answered, they have taken my Lord away. I don't know where they have put him. And then she then turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not recognize him. And Jesus says, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And she thought that Jesus was the gardener and said, where have you put him? Tell me where you have put him and I'll, go, and I'll go get him, she says. Then Jesus calls her name, Mary. You know what? Jesus knows your name. And she turned toward him and cried out, Rabboni. And then Jesus says, don't, don't hold on to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Well, Mary went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. She told them that he had said these things to her. And you know, as you, as before we move on, notice that Mary, the mourner, has become a missionary. This now brings us to today's text. In today's text, we see the first appearance of Jesus to his disciples, minus Judas and Thomas. And this, is, this was most likely in the upper room in Jerusalem. And so I have six points from our text. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is the panic. Say that. The panic. Write that down. And we're going to look at verses, verse 19a as we move forward here. On the evening, say evening, it refers to the time period from around 6 p.m. to about 9 p.m. On the evening of that first day, say first day of the week. Now, it's still Sunday, right? It's still Sunday. Uh, this took place on the same day that the tomb was found empty where Mary met the resurrected Jesus. Now, now say on that day. Sunday, that's Sunday. Listen, Sunday was so significant that the early church began to gather on Sunday. And the reason why they did this was to commemorate and remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is why, this is why we gather on Sundays as well. If you got it, say got it. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, say doors locked, for fear, say fear, of the Jews. So the tense of the verb indicates that the doors were secured, they were bolted, uh, they, were, they were barricaded against any unwelcome entry. And so we see here that the disciples were afraid, they feared that they were wanted men, they weren't sure what was going to happen to, to them. They were gripped, I would say, with fear. And they were probably thinking, are we next? Are we going to get arrested? 
Are they going to crucify us? And to top it off, word has begun to get around that Jesus' body is missing, and the chief priests, listen now, are paying people to say that the disciples stole the body. And you see that in Matthew chapter 28, verses 12 through 15. And perhaps they, speaking of the disciples, uh, were thinking about what Jesus said to them back in chapter 15, verses 18 through 20 of John. This, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. And this is what Jesus says. And and perhaps they're thinking about this right now, right, at this time. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And perhaps, again, this was still embedded in their minds, and this is why they were hiding behind closed doors. That being said, some of you, if the truth were known, some of you right now, you are living in fear. And the doors are locked for fear of the unknown, fear of the future, fear of things that might not even happen. Perhaps fear of losing your job or or losing your business or losing your home, losing a loved one. And I want to tell you, if you're feeling that way, Jesus can take away that fear. This is what brings us right to the second point is the peace. Say that. So we first see the panic, now we see the peace. And and I love this because here what we see is the faithful one, Christ, comforts the fearful ones. Look at verse 19, be with me. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Everyone say that, peace be with you. Okay, they weren't expecting peace. They weren't. They were expecting peace. Jewish authorities and Roman soldiers, they were expecting persecution, they were expecting judgment, they were expecting death. And so they think that they're in the midst of defeat, but instead, they're going to find peace. Jesus brought a word of of peace. Now, Now, in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 37, it says, after Jesus appeared to the disciples and said, peace be with you, the disciples were startled. And frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Well, what they saw was not a ghost. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't a figment of their imagination. It was Jesus. And Jesus was there. There was no knock at the door. Jesus just, like that, appeared before them. And that changed everything. Say, that changed everything. And you see, friends, this is the point. The presence of Jesus brings peace. His presence brings peace. Notice, Jesus came and stood among them. Let's go back to the text, right? He stood among them. He stood among them and said what? Peace be with you. Because that's what his presence does. How many times have you walked into this auditorium and your heart is heavy? You're overwhelmed with life circumstances. You're overwhelmed with with, with past hurts with struggles, and you walked in this place and you began to worship him. As you, as you began to worship him, what, what happens? You feel his presence. And as you feel his presence, you feel his peace. And that's what they felt. 
And there have been many times where I've, I've been over, just filled with burden in my heart and, and struggles and just struggling, just struggling. And whether it was in my car or whether I was running or jogging or whether I was in here in my office and I just began to worship God, an overwhelming sense of peace came over me because the presence of Jesus brings peace. Now, can you imagine how they must have felt? I mean, if they, if they listen now, if they, they, they ever needed peace, it was now. The disciples, right? It was now. They were fearful and afraid, unsure of what the future would hold. But now Jesus' words, peace be with you, right? A calm settles over their hearts. And how amazing and gracious of Jesus, and love this, to meet them at their point of need. Jesus, listen, Jesus doesn't lecture them about their lack of faith. Could have, but he doesn't. Jesus comes all the way to where they are, and what he does is he provides the need for their fear and frailty, and he says, peace be with you. Ready for the lesson? Here we go. Fear has been replaced by peace. By peace. Now, if you're safe, say amen. No, no matter what the outward circumstances uh, there can be an inner peace when we have come to know, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ of the resurrection. And you see, friends, when life is tough, when, when we're in turmoil, when doubt creeps in our lives, we need to look to Jesus. It's his peace that calms the very storms in our lives. Philippians 4, 7 and Paul writes this, in the peace, a peace of God which transcends all understanding, surpasses all understanding, transcends all intellect, right? And analysis will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I love what chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, verse 27 says. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. He's talking to his disciples here. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he says, and do not be afraid. Now please get this, okay? Please get this. It's not the subtraction of trials and problems and heartaches that brings us peace. Rather, it is a supernatural peace that only Jesus can give to a troubled, fearful heart in the midst of trials, problems, and heartaches. And I also want to say this. Jesus never promised us an easy life. Never. You can go through the scriptures. Jesus never promised us an easy life. He never promised us a trouble-free life. He never promised us a life without challenges. He never promised us a life without difficulties. He never promised us a life without disappointments. He never promised us a life without heartache, a life without pain, and a life without sickness. But what Jesus has promised is a supernatural peace, a calmness in the midst of the storms of life. And that's the truth about his presence. Amen? Say the panic. Say the peace. 
Number three is a proof. Write that down. In verse, verse 20a. After he, Jesus, said this, he showed them his hands inside. Do you get that? Now, I want to read from Luke's account. And what he does, Luke, he fills in a few more details in Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 43. And he writes this while they were still talking about this. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do you... Doubts rise in your minds. Look at my hands and and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me, he says, and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, and what Jesus does here, Jesus takes it a step further. Jesus says, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So, ready for the lesson? Okay, we have evidence that cannot be refuted. We do. We have evidence that cannot be refuted. You see, Jesus is showing them that it's really him. It's not a phantom, right? Not a ghost. He has a real body. And it's important to note, friends, that even though Jesus is risen from the dead, even though he has a new improved body, yet he still bears the wounds from the cross. Some 60 years later, John, the writer of the Gospel of John, has a vision of heaven and describes Jesus in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, as the lamb, as the lamb, as if had been slain. Let's go back to the text. He showed them his hands and what? Side. These marks on the body of Jesus, what they do, they bear witness of his great love and great sacrifice for us. They were put there for us. So with that being said, question, what are the marks of your love and of your sacrifice for Jesus? Where are the signs of your affection, of your sacrifice, and your devotion towards him? Let me ask you this. In what what way has your life changed? What, What persecution have you suffered for speaking the name of Jesus? What are the marks of your love and sacrifice for Jesus? I also want to point something out. John has just made a point of saying that the doors were shut, right? They were locked. So so how did Jesus get in? Well, how did he appear before them? His resurrected body. Amen? So here's the lesson. You ready? Get ready for the new version. Some of you don't even, you didn't get that. Okay? All right? Okay, because we want a new version of this, right? Right? And we're going to have resurrected bodies, the Scripture says, just as Jesus. Now, I want you to write this down, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, which is the text for next week's sermon as we resume our series on authentic out of the epistle 1 John. So don't miss next Sunday, okay? 1 John 3, 2, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears... 
We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Amen? I don't know about you, but hey, as, as I get older, okay, things begin to sag, right? Wrinkled, right? And you're saying, well, you're, you're not wrinkled. You'll get there someday, okay? All right? But praise God, it's going to be a new version. And I'm excited for that, amen? Let's read on, verse 20b. The disciples were what? Over, overjoyed when they what? Come on, church, saw the Lord. I love this. I love this. They exploded with joy. They were overwhelmed with joy. They, they couldn't contain it. Wow, it's Jesus. It's really him. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Not only is true peace found in Jesus Christ, but true joy is found in him as well. And I'm reminded what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 16, verse 11. David said this, In thy presence, in thy presence is fullness of joy. Not, not happiness, not happiness, but joy, right? Say, say joy. Follow me. We know this, right, Christians? We know this. Happiness is based on happenings, happenstance, on, on outer circumstances. Happiness. I mean, your football team wins, you're happy. They lose, you're unhappy. Right? You, you get your, hey, you get your kids a Happy Meal at McDonald's, they're happy. But once they open up the box and they don't like the toy that's in there, unhappy. Unhappy. That's happiness, happenstance. Joy, say joy, is based on inner peace. Not, not, not on what happens outside of us, but who lives inside of us, amen? The joy we have in Jesus rises, I love this, rises above our circumstances, above what is taking place in our lives. This joy is an inner gladness. It is a deep-seated pleasure, a depth of assurance and confidence that is anchored, anchored in our relationship with our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It's full, unspeakable joy. That's why as believers, our world on the outside could be falling apart, but praise God, we're standing firm on the inside. And people in the world are blown away with that, right? That's the joy and the peace that surpasses all understanding. Say the panic, say the peace, say the proof. Number four is the plan, the plan. And what, what Jesus does here, he commissions his disciples. Here we go, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. He wanted to reassure them again, right? As the Father has sent, I love this, as the Father, Jesus says, has sent me, I am sending you. And you know what, friends? Jesus is, is the supreme example for evangelism and missions. He is. And for the last three years, Jesus has been preparing these guys, these guys, for this very thing. And now, and now it's time to send them off, and they were to become his witnesses. And Jesus gives them a mission to continue his work on earth. Now, now, Jesus will repeat this again 
in Matthew 28, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, that we know is known as the Great Commission. Say, say the Great Commission. When Jesus, he'll share this with them when he meets them in Galilee in a few days. And it's there where it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, authority assignment, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Assurance. And then Jesus will repeat it one last time back in Jerusalem before he ascends to the Father. Jesus charges the disciples with this mission to go and be witnesses and make disciples. So are you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Own the mission. Own it. And here in the text, as Jesus has commissioned the disciples, so he has commissioned us. Hey, listen, church, the Great Commission is still on the books. Still on the books. Hasn't changed, right? Hasn't changed. So we are to share the gospel. Question, are you sharing the gospel? Are you sharing the good news with those who do not know Jesus? We need to own it. And we own it by sharing the gospel to others. And we need to get in the game. How do you grow a church? Share the gospel. Get people saved. Amen? Get in the game. we got to get in the game and reach out and touch others for Christ. we got to get busy. Say busy for the kingdom of God. And we do this not in our own strength. Listen now. Not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Brings us to point number five is the power. Say the power. In order for them to carry out the plan, they need the power. Right? They, they couldn't carry out the plan without the power. And neither can we. Verse 22. And with that, he, Jesus, breathed on them. Ruha. In Hebrew, Ruha. The Spirit. Right and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, say Holy Spirit. As he breathed, Holy Spirit, Rucha, Ruach, and Numa. Right? Hebrew, Ruach, Numa, Greek. Receive the Holy Spirit. Say Holy Spirit. And I want to say this, this reception of the Holy Spirit was an anticipation of the day of Pentecost. And it should be understood as a, a partial, limited gift of knowledge, understanding, and empowerment until Pentecost, 50 days later. You guys with me? You see, like an instrument is blown into, into to make music, they were to sing, and they, the disciples were to sing and sound the note of the new kingdom. And the point is this, if they're going to be sent out as witnesses they're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. They need to be spirit-filled witnesses. Got it? And this is something that Jesus will reiterate just before his ascension in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Write that down, Acts 1, verse 8, where he says this, and we know this, right? But you will receive power, say power, when the Holy Spirit, got it? Ruach, 
comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here's the lesson. You ready? We need the Holy Spirit. Got it? And I want to say this. Listen, we cannot witness effectively. We cannot do ministry effectively and with power apart from the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission, effective ministry, cannot be, be fulfilled in our own strength. There must be, listen now, the power, say the power of the Holy Spirit to fill and flood our soul and to rest upon our lives. And you see, friends, the disciples need the power of the Holy Spirit as they were going into the world that was resistant to the gospel. And so we as well need the power, right? The power of the Holy Spirit as we are going into the community, into the workplace, school, into a world that is resistant to the gospel. And we need to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're safe, say amen. His whole, if you're saved, listen now, His Holy Spirit indwells you, and because He indwells you, He empowers you. And because He indwells you and empowers you, He is more, I love this, He is more than sufficient to meet every demand and every single challenge that will be upon your life. You guys with me? And some of you are scared to witness. Don't be scared. Ask God to give you the power to witness effectively to those who need him. Amen? Chuck Smith said this, love it, the church exists as a result of the Holy Spirit. It was he who gave birth to the body of Christ on the day of Pentecost when he was poured out upon the disciples. Since that day, the Spirit has been at work in the church in a multitude of vital and mighty ways. Without the Spirit in its midst, Mitz, the church would be nothing more than a social club or a service organization. But when the Spirit is given his, listen, his proper place, the body of Christ becomes a dynamic force of change in a sick and dying world. See the panic. See the peace. See the proof. See the plan. See the power. Number six is the pardon. Write that down, the pardon. We're almost done here. Look at verse 23. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are what? Forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, now first of all, first of all, let me tell you what this verse is not saying, okay? It's not saying that the disciples, that we, okay, okay, got it? that we have the power to forgive sins. Okay, got it? So what is this verse saying? It's saying that Jesus was giving the apostles, and by extension, the church and every single believer, the privilege of announcing heaven's terms on how a person can receive forgiveness. Yeah? This is the heart of the message. Now I want you to follow me here. As, as they proclaimed, the, the disciples, as they proclaimed the gospel, they could honestly tell people who believe in the message that their sins were forgiven. And they could honestly tell people that did not believe the message, did not believe the gospel, that their sins were not forgiven, and that they stand condemned in God's eyes. 
Fundamentally, this declaration is made in the preaching of the gospel. You guys with me? The very core of the gospel message, friends, is the truth that the way someone has their sins forgiven is by what? Having faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That's it. That's it. Because, see, you see, there's only one who has lived a sinless life. There's only one who suffered, bled, and died on the cross for our sins. There's only one who made a perfect atonement for sin. There's only one who satisfied the righteous anger of God towards sinners. There's only one who has reconciled sinners to a holy God. There's only one who has bought us out of the slave market of sin and Satan. There's only one who can forgive us of our sins, and that is Jesus Christ. The one and only one who can forgive our sins, who has been raised from the dead, who is alive and well today, who rules and reigns forever and forever and forevermore. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, the living presence in our lives. And we have a message to share. Amen? And for those of you that are not saved here today, this is a message you need to hear. He's alive. And because he's alive, we need to live like we're alive too, and he's alive in us. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we thank you for your word.